Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. This episode is a big Q&A where we explore an area of marketing through a leading industry expert. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to Jürgen Helland. After a career spanning 15 years in digital marketing, he's now a brand strategy advisor for Lucenco, an Oslo-based marketing agency that just won Agency of the Year in Norway for its innovative creative smart strategy work. Jürgen works with a variety of consumer brands, all of whom are asking him what the future of their brand and communications look like amidst the coronavirus crisis. We're talking on April the 29th, 2020 and facing an uncertain future. Jürgen knows how to architect brand strategy as well as anyone in the industry, so I'm keen to hear what he's telling his clients and how he's advising in the tactical short term versus the strategic long term. Jürgen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Will. How are you doing? I am doing good. Very good. Tell me, where are you joining us from? I'm currently in my home office in uh, Asker, outside of Oslo. So in terms of your work, I mean, you know, current situation aside for a moment, what? just explain to me in the simplest terms what you do as a brand strategy advisor. Oh, I usually say that I... I help turning business strategy into brands and then turning brands into design, marketing, communications, products, cultural activities internally, etc. But normally I just say that I do brand strategy and that usually makes people stop talking. What do you tell older members of your family when you go home at Christmas? <laughs> uh, I think I normally just try to link it up to some something they've seen on TV or like commercials or anything like that. And then we can sort of take it from there. And Think of the best ad you've seen on TV. That's me. Yeah. Or I can tell, we can talk about how do you feel about um, the local shopping center doing this type of advertising in this uh, time and age or uh, if it's relevant to them or things like that. And how do you think the brand landscape in Norway differs from that in places like uh, the UK and Ireland and Europe and uh, in America? Um, well, it's difficult to assess not living in a society what kind of brand landscape you're in. But compared to global brands, if you're thinking about the digital brands that we all use or, or you know, Facebook, Netflix, etc., or mega brands like Nike, Disney, etc., we, in Norway, Norwegian brands tend to have a bit more down-to-earth down to type of approach. It always seems a bit um, smaller and the value proposition always seems a bit less uh, all-encompassing. Um, they also have a tendency of trying to be very concrete with Norwegian brands. So uh, it doesn't always seem to be a lot of uh, fluff. We'd be a bit more, <laughs> a bit more direct with, with, uh, with the population. That sounds very Nordic, certainly. It is. So... What is the main concern that you're hearing from your clients right now? Um, some of them are very concerned with how their marketing is suited or not for, for the current situation. Um, they are looking into how to adapt their messaging, for instance, or uh, to understand how their reality is changing from a, from a consumer perspective. Um, there are a lot of concerns about media budgets and media spends, uh, naturally. Um, they have concerns whether or not to go ahead with planned events or adapting planned events. 
And are budgets being cut across the board, or you know what what's what's happening to those? Yeah, I mean, some of them, most of most events used to be offline. They used to be people gathering. They used to be somewhere, and now they need to do either adapt them onto online uh, online areas, or they need to cancel. And then, obviously, they have also planned for uh, achieving some results out of these planned activities. So they need to start planning for not having the results of these activities. Okay, so do you see some new rules emerging for how to adapt brand messaging? Because that's got to change in the current climate. We can't just put out the same campaigns. You know, have you had to change campaigns that were about to go out? I, I think that there's a lot of campaigns that have been stopped. Basically, the advertisers thinking, we, can, we can't show this. It doesn't feel sensitive it doesn't deliver a message in a context that we can sort of um, be a part of. Um, and so I think a lot of brands just just flat out just stopped it and assessed and see what we're going to do and then move on. I suppose those brands are waiting to see what other brands do. There's, there's definitely a sense that that's happening, that people are kind of... Some brands have sat tight and waited to see what these new rules are that have emerged so that they can then go and safely play by them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people looking at the neighbor type of approach in this situation. Somebody has taken the lead and done something, and then soon a lot of them, a lot of the others have followed suit. Sometimes brands and advertisers and marketing are not as innovative as you think they might be. Absolutely. I mean, of course, we're risk averse in marketing to a point. It's supposed to be the most creative industry, but at the same time, it's incredibly risk averse because, you know, we've seen what happens when you get called out for being insensitive or inappropriate in a single social post, for instance. Uh, yeah, I think that, that that risk is sometimes is completely appropriate in the sense that it can lead to damaging results for, for the company. But in many cases, uh, us marketers are sitting there talking about things that are important to us and uh, in social media also believing that something is a very big deal and you see absolutely no effect on sales numbers or, or brand exposure or share of voice or anything like that. So I've been um, enjoying your Facebook group, which I know exists on LinkedIn as well. And it shows how brands are dealing with the current crisis in Scandinavia, but also beyond. What's Just give me an overview. What's happening out there? Who's doing it well? Uh, who's not doing it so well? What are you seeing as some really effective approaches? And what are you seeing as some uh, maybe less or even badly handled approaches? Well, just to start off with the, the latter part, I think that the what is most effective in this uh, in this situation is probably what is most effective always, which means being relevant and being sensitive and deliver a message that's in alignment with the strategy of the company. So uh, you need to deliver value through the product and your services, and the, the advertising needs to lead you into that with the right set of expectations. So the advertising that seems to be well working are the ones that seem to match the people's expectations of that product or service, or in, in essence, what the brand usually promised you that it would do. So as an example, the, the ad for Guinness where they uh, were very early on into the crisis of celebrating how to be together and then not be together seems to be like a very fitting way of explaining what the brand was about into this new context, even though 
Um, there was always the danger of seeing, seeming to promote that people would be sitting at home drinking, which, you know, <laughs> it's not the impression that you have after seeing the ads. So I, fe- I feel like they balanced it out very well in that, in that ad. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the, there seem to be a few key types of brand response coming out here. There's like, uh, I'd say there's maybe six or seven. There's entertainment, so free content, lighthearted, um, you know, stuff to do with the kids or puzzles or, you know, like Legos kind of build of the day type stuff. Um, there's educational stuff. There's people doing free courses, live sessions of some description that show you how to do things. So, you know, in the UK, we've got Pret-a-Manger showing you how to make their signature, you know, dishes. There's a lot of celebration of working from home culture for the kind of, you know, corporate crowd and people like us, I suppose. Um, there's virtual meetups and events. So Brewdog did a virtual pub, um, there's cook-alongs, festivals. Then there's just like the helping out. So there's fragrance brands and alcohol brands have started producing hand sanitizer. It's brands have had to shift to show what they can do to be part of the solution. And you're right. It's almost as if brands have have had to become even more themselves and show their true colors even more. But that's what we should always be doing is just showing who we are, what we stand for, what our values are and, and how you know, in a crowded digital world, we can be of value to people. Um, but I suppose, you know, what are you what are you telling people to do? That's quite a big thought. What are you telling people to do in the short term today? I think that, the, well, there, there are a few, like, if you're, if you're meeting with or talking to marketing people or, or an organization that are knee-deep into day-to-day operations of just salvaging their business, I think the the number one thing we're telling them to do is you know save your business, do that first. Is that okay to do that? Is I mean, do you think there's? I, I feel that it's a really fine line. I think some small businesses are saying, look, please book a you know buy a voucher to use later. Whereas the big brands, um, it's a fine line between being part of the solution but also saying keep us in business. Oh, uh, I'm not referring to communicating this message of saying uh, buy our products to stay in business. I'm telling the people that I'm talking to is that maybe your advertising is not the most important thing right now. Maybe the most important thing is to make sure that the wheels are turning internally in your business and that means maybe you should do tasks that are not necessarily directly related to what you normally do. There's no point in marketing products if you can't sell them, for instance. So uh, so maybe so that's number one advice. Just be a part of the team and do what you can to 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 stay afloat. Number, number two is obviously those basic things. Go through all of your campaigns, see everything, all of your messages, go and check up on seeing it, make an assessment, at least if you're, you know, inside of what you believe is right for the situation and what is not. Watch the competition, but more importantly, try to stay very close to your to your customers. Try to understand how they feel. And I think that what we're seeing now is, as, as example by your, your list of six or seven things that there are different ways of doing it, is proving that we're always uh, fallen into the trap of thinking that everyone is still the same. Just because now we have some sort of common grounds that we're all stuck at home doesn't mean that we're all the same people all of a sudden. 
So it's a very simplified way of looking at the world and you would normally never do that from a marketing perspective. Um, you would try to be much more nuanced and much more direct to your customers, not everybody else. You would be much more into their needs in this time rather than just like everybody's stuck at home and we all need to fill our fridge. So I think uh, I think that the, your list is... It's quite like these are the ways that you can do it. These needs to be looked at tools for communicating your brand message rather than being the brand message. And um, oh, and I wanted to mention one other uh, uh, factor that is also in uh, a lot of brands have fallen into the into the um, we do charity and we use marketing and communication to show that we're supporting somebody else that's doing things to improve the situation. And uh, <laughs> it just feels a bit like, why aren't they doing anything themselves to do this kind of thing? So in America and some places we've seen insurance agency slashing their prices on car insurance, well knowing that people hardly drive. That's a perfect act that's completely aligned with probably their promise of being close to their customers and it costs them, right? It costs them money to do this, but it's an actual act. It's not just communicating we're here for you and not doing anything on the other side. Yes, I feel I feel we are approaching or probably I think we've passed the point of we're here for you fatigue <laughs> because uh, I think I've definitely lost count of the amount of emails from brands that I'd forgotten I was even subscribed to. Mm. Um, you know, saying that they're here for me, and and that is nice, and it's it, it's I mean, absolutely, it's great that they're doing that, and it's great that they feel that they are reaching out on a more human level for once, and I think you know that's that's great, but it it's they've started all to kind of fade into one and not really say much, and apart from the really standout ones that are very memorable, like someone like Brewdog making hand sanitizer or something like that, that you kind of, you know, you remember mm. just generally being there for you at this time uh, with some vague words about how we're doing our best to protect you and our staff and our company. It's, it's, it doesn't say anything, but like you say, that's, those are the sort of brands that would have, were struggling anyway with having anything memorable to say perhaps. Um, and the same rules apply now. I agree. And the, the, the problem with it, I would argue, is that um, there are more important messages coming from the government. There are more important issues regarding your, your own economic and financial situation, if you have a job and your health situation, all of that, than what you know, 95% of these brands have to bring to the table. It's basically just noise uh, when you need focus. So uh, I think that um, a lot of brands should be much more sensitive to the whole complex of the situation rather than thinking about their one-to-one -one relation to their, uh, to their customers. And I think that a lot of this is coming from how a lot of marketing organizations are rigged, where you know you've planned for a large set of emails going out and segmented and with messages and all of this kind of thing. And then suddenly you realize, it's probably not going to work. We're just going to waste a lot of time and effort on pushing these emails out. So let's find something else. And then 
we're here for you because we've been taught to believe that we are in sort of like a mutually exclusive relationship together and you ought to know that I'm here for you. Well, really, customers are not. They will, they just evaluate the value you give to them at every touch point you give. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, maybe I should start replying to those emails saying, that's great, but I'm, I'm not here for you. <laughs> I've stopped using you. I will, not, I will never be there for you. If you bring me something to the table, I might consider buying it, but I'm also sleeping with all of your competitors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. We are very promiscuous as consumers. It's funny that, isn't it? How do you think, um, I don't know if you've got an answer to this, but how do you think our relationship with brands, you know, the, the, the consumer to brand relationship, which has changed in the last 10 years because of social media, you know, and brand banter and brands trying to kind of act like people and, and being humanized. But how is this situation going to change our relationship with brands in that way, do you think? Oh, it's a wonderful question. Uh, I think you need to take a step back and start looking into what kind of relation some brands seems to be getting to their clients and how they're stacked up. So in pure, uh, as an example, in pure uh, panic over that I got an injury from running and that I was stuck home, we, you know, we can go outside and that's what Norwegians do. We go outside and we've been outside all of this period. I couldn't run anymore. I got a hamstring injury and, and um, I was stuck at home. So I started looking into biking, cycling. And then I started jumping into those type of brands that are connected to the cycling world. And some of these brands are proper lifestyle brands, meaning that they engage so many aspects of anyone who's interested in their lives. They sell enormous range of products, but it's also a lifestyle, their visual content, there are communities to engage in, their roots to take part of. You can bike from home and being part of the brand together with the ambassadors online. A very, very deep relationship to their consumers. And during a period of time like this, they are sort of uh, giving the opportunity for their consumers to engage even more, creating even deeper habits that goes way deeper than just like, I'm going to the store and buy myself a new cycling jersey or whatever. Uh, it's actually, you know, shaping uh, the fabric of everyday life because as a consumer, you choose and pick those brands that make sense in the situation and that is there on a practical term. And those attitudes with those acts will change your behavior. And that means that those brands can have a much, much stronger relationship to their customers on the other side. It's, it's kind of made the, um, the difference between the most engaged brands and the least engaged brands. I would say it's making the difference between them more pronounced. You know, like you're saying, the, the, the brands that had taken time to build genuine community are winning right now. The brands that hadn't put that time in are becoming even less relevant. Uh, there are exceptions, of course. You know, Amazon would be an obvious one, or uh, because they're just an, a huge anomaly in the middle of all this, anyway. Because is there a community, and I don't know uh, what even is that brand. But in by and large, yeah, it's almost created this even wider disparity uh, between brands that are doing well and brands that are performing badly. And I think that those ones that hadn't put the time in 
uh, to, to create communities around them are going to really struggle uh, coming out of this in a time when, you know, there's going to be all kinds of economic pressures as well. Well, I think community is a part of some of the, of the especially more lifestyle brands, but I think that a company or a brand like Amazon that has uh, what we, which we call is a very like deeply relational brand in the sense that it has a very deep relation to its consumers, whereas delivering a lot of products at a very high quality with, uh, I'm not saying that all of the products you're buying on Amazon is high quality, but the service that Amazon is providing is of high quality in e-commerce landscape. And also that they can serve so many aspects of the experience that you're having right now, meaning that they have a deeper relation to their prime users now than they had before the crisis. A lot of the competition for Amazon is suddenly just shut down, forgotten, not a part of everyday life. So I assume that Amazon will be in a much stronger position after this crisis than they were before. Absolutely. I think situations like that push, I think they're pushing in lots of ways as further into a winner-takes-all economy. Yes. And 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 that's, to, to get back to your first question, it's like what kind of brands will be strengthened from this? It's obviously those who can leverage or create bigger relation to a larger portion of the group and extract value from that relation over a period of time and then have a very good way of incentivizing that right now. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I, I mentioned in the intro how I wanted to quiz you about this kind of you know difference between uh, tactical responses and broader strategic responses. Talk to me about how you see i mean as we as it stands at the end of april 2020 so obviously we don't know how this is going to play out but currently how do you see it um uh, best being played by a brand right now in the short term versus long term picture i think that there's a lot of uh, documentation now that proves that you need to uh, keep on advertising through the crisis if you have a plan of being there at the end of it because you can increase your relative share of voice and you can take more space in the category. Basically saying, if you don't advertise, your your competitor will and sort of like take the market. Or the other way around, if you do advertising and your competitor don't or your competitor goes bankrupt, you will have a relative higher share than you had before going in. So I believe that the long-term play is obviously to stay uh, to stay on top in, in your customer's mind even through the crisis in any way possible. That's like the long-term strategy aspect of it. Short-term, obviously, you need to uh, try to uh, meet your monthly targets, to put it like that, or your, your key metrics, even though uh, everything else is changing. And if you immediately know that your operational and tactical targets is not achievable, you need to find some way of adjusting them so that you can actually uh, execute on a, on a viable short-term plan to win this month as well as staying in line with the long-term plan. So is it, uh, to what extent is it okay to go off brand or I suppose that's the thing I'm, tr I'm trying to work out like mm. can we be adaptive and kind of just maybe step outside of you know the, the 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 pure brand architecture just to kind of react to what's happening now and work it all out later 
I mean, how do we reconcile those things? And and the fact that, yeah, six months down the line, our brand might have changed a bit anyway. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that the... You need to have a conscious uh, understanding of your brand and try to look at it from the outside a bit into this. And do you have room to step out and do, you know, go off script? I think that a global health crisis is probably, you know, a legitimate reason to alter things and change things. But I still would argue that you would like to know a bit where you want to be at the end. And you also would like to understand and put into your planning on how the crisis unfolds and what is happening when you know we will probably go through this period of uh, release where we are optimistic about the future because we've been coming out of our houses etc but we also will go into deep recession and that needs to be taken into account for what you what you're doing now so I've been reading online about, you know, how to handle this crisis in the context of marketing. And a lot of commentators say that basically everything's going to be different after this. And the rules are changing. The landscape is shifting to such an extent that we're going to have to completely change our approach. Do you agree with that? Uh, no, uh, I think that uh, it's safe to say a lot of things will remain the same. And um, maybe what will remain the same is the best starting point for creating a brand strategy. However, I think it's extremely important for brands and organizations to start grasp and understand and make some uh, best guesses or estimates or understanding of the future that we're moving into because it will come rather quickly. This is an unprecedented crisis with enormous impacts on the whole planet, on everyone alive. So that there will be something on the other side that is not looked the same is absolutely clear. What's important to find out is what does it mean for your brand and your business? But those core principles of brand and marketing remain the same. Is that what you're saying? I think so. I think so. I think that, uh, you know, the value proposition, brand promises and good ways of doing uh, pricing and product and placement and everything that you learned in, in, in school regarding marketing, those simple core rules that seems to have endured over a longer period of times, uh, they will prevail. The more interesting aspect of it is to see how they adapt to the current situation for your brand. If, for instance, are there key changes in your demographics? Uh, do the, cha- the channels of your distributions change dramatically? Are competition landscape completely different? Are suddenly your, your, your core target group uh, used to have a lot of money, now don't have a lot of money at all? Um, all of those kind of more deep uh, changes from the outside, you can start looking into and start understanding now if you pay extra attention to listening to what the, what the financial pages are saying in the newspaper, what the reports are saying from a lot of the larger consultancy houses, uh, to hear what the, the, the experts on other areas than marketing are, are saying sometimes. That's when you can start really understanding what, what will change and what will remain the same. 
So don't get too hung up on marketing hype because we love change, don't we, in marketing? And I think I think we've become really hungry for it. And I, I, it might be just the era that I've grown up in as a marketer, but I think the the advent of social media changed a lot. It really did change a lot. Yeah. And then things settled down a bit and, and that, that change in some ways slowed and digital's kind of settled into what it is but we just we remain hungry for that dopamine hit of the great headline that tells us everything is different and uh, that conference talk that's going to tell us about a new dawn that <laughs> you know and all this kind of stuff um but you're right it's 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 it, it's those core principles that remain the same whilst looking at how your audience has changed in socio-economic ways i suppose isn't it yeah, I think that the whole uh, aspect of newness and uh, new technology, like a magic one that sweeps over a category and changes everything, that I think that will definitely be a part of our uh, landscape for the next few months. Because it represents hope in one way. It means that something can come out of this better than it used to be. We can get rid of inefficiencies. We can stop wasting things. The, the planet will be better. Consumption will change. Uh, consumers will be much more educated in terms of what they will buy. Your quality value proposition will be valued much higher than it was before. Uh, our deep devotion to the community will be respected in a much broader sense than what it used to be. And all of that comes into a very nice spin, if you want to put it that way, into, you know, change, as it was in the one famous big uh, presidential campaign back in the day. Um, so I think that definitely there is something uh, valuable about thinking that things will change. But we will also see the opposite, that people will, will like to go back to what it used to be. And that everything that dragged us into that direction of saying that this will change will also be the same thing that we will drag us back to saying, you know, what's most important is me, my home, my family, my comfort, my safety, my health, my financial situation, those core needs that are uh, that are, doesn't really have room for disruption or innovation or radical new weird brands with products that you never heard of or don't understand what else you you're not maybe not going to be in the room for that exploration yet indeed yeah and you know what it, when people ask me what you know as I'm a digital marketer so when, but when people ask me about the trends that they should be looking out for one of the things i tell them is actually if I could tell you one of the biggest changes that I've seen over the last few years and I'm, and I'm seeing, it's actually the development of brand purpose. And it's the fact that I think we've gone from, in the last 10 years, you know, we've gone from a world where brand purpose was kind of just like a, you know, a, a kind of post-rationalized bit of waffle that would be stuck on a brand, maybe, maybe a bit of corporate social responsibility, a charity um, affiliation, that kind of thing. And now we've moved into a world where, you know, some of the key brands that today's consumer engage with, people like The Body Shop or Tom's, um, you know, these very purpose-led brands are really showing up the incumbents um, and now they are having to adopt far better, um, I think, purpose-led initiatives, whether that's environmental, sustainability, poverty. It, it, how does this... Um, crisis affect that because on the one hand 
you know, the climate crisis has gone out of the window. I mean, <laughs> you know, we've, we, we really have gone, you know, we've, we've gone from extinction rebellion protests all over the world to like, no, there's, there's, we're completely forgetting about it. But on the other hand, uh, like you say, when you look at the, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we are not caring much about self-actualization and all that. We just, we are getting back to those really basic human needs. Yeah. I wonder what effect that will have on this kind of growth of purpose in brand marketing. I think that uh, when it comes to this whole uh, aspect of having organizations having a purpose, first of all, being able to identify it and put it into words. Uh, as a sociologist, I know that they, it's not like they invented purpose. It's always been there. People do go for a reason and they do join an organization and they do understand why things are the way they are. They just sometimes just don't have the right vocabulary for, for talking about it. And on the other side, you will I would hardly believe that people who are going in to buy a new, you know, cream and body shop are thinking oh what's the purpose behind this cream they are thinking i want this product it costs this much it's in my budget and it does this kind of wonderful thing for me what how this organization thinks about itself is rather irrelevant to me so i don't think you should ever confuse purpose with like a value proposition or a brand message mm. i think it's a very dangerous path to go down and you will end up with a lot of very generic and boring and irrelevant communication but um, when it comes to this whole way of creating an organization and having some sort of understanding of why we are together and that transmits into the, into the customer's world, I think that will probably be even more high on the agenda. On the other hand, if you follow Maslow, that's probably one of those things that we wouldn't have to need to have met anymore. We, I don't care who produced it as long as it's good for me and I want to buy it and that that will be it. So, but the irony regarding sustainability is obviously quite clear. When we now that we have a situation where we can where we can actually see physical evidence of what happens if we change behavior dramatically overnight, um, suddenly that it comes down on our list as not important anymore. Yeah, indeed, it's it's fascinating how. Priorities have changed, you know, for everyone. But they will, they will, the priorities will come back, though. That's that's the important part of understanding. Yeah. Even though if you have a socioeconomic situation where people are losing their jobs or losing their incomes, etc., they still want to be human beings. They still want to express themselves. They still want to uh, feel good. They still want to enjoy themselves. They still want to do a lot of things. It's just that your priorities changes now they changed it more dramatically than they've changed will have changed at the end of the crisis and we have very short memories yes of course we you do. know yeah. we do you know we come out of wars and all sorts and when things return to normal it's amazing how you're right those priorities come back and we start to want the unimportant stuff again you know yeah i just want to expand a little bit on the way you were talking about short term versus long term you know, um, okay, so we get licensed to step outside the brand a little and, um, you know, obviously kind of think on our feet and react in the best way uh, we can. But what's the longer term strategy for a brand? What, what's, how should I be thinking about six months time? You know, what should I be planning for October 2020, for instance? 
I think you need to, to put down uh, some assumptions about what the world will look like uh, at that time and then uh, see and make an assessment if there are anything you need to change. And in most cases, uh, I would say it, it most likely doesn't have to change at the core of the brand. Maybe some tweaks in messaging, maybe some things that are are being uh, out of place. I have a client that had planned for doing a campaign regarding uh, social gatherings uh, in uh, connection to the opening of the universities in, in early September. And all of that campaign makes absolutely no sense because it was designed to be a part of events in the universities with 2,000 people and more. And that's not going to happen. So, so like I said, you need to uh, understand how you plan for those activities to happen. You plan for those results to come in. That will be different. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so I, 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 I would, I would just uh, either you can take this time out to take a step back and start looking a bit more on your overall brand strategy. Like, how does it relate to the category? How does it relate to the customers? Are there any fundamental shifts that we will believe that will be in, in place in October uh, or, or November? Or will Christmas be completely different uh, this year? It probably will, but we, we can only assume how in one way or the other. And that will be different on so many aspects in terms of travel and traveling abroad and, and all of these kind of things. And it, I think it's important for ourselves that we, when we're working this is at least we start looking at this as something that we can manage when we get there. For most people, including me, I believe that that sort of involves grasping and understanding what I believe it will be, even if it's probably not a good scenario. But yeah, I suppose now is a good time for brands to kind of look inward and just spend some time on, uh, because we have the luxury of perhaps a bit more time to ironing out the kinks in our brand, working out on a deeper level who we are and and yes, who we might have to be in, in six months and 12 months time. I'm, I'm curious for you guys that work more closely with, with digital marketing and digital marketing campaigns. Um, from my experience, these are vast and extensive systems that are put into place and not all of this label uh, this work is is either manual or easily detectable i remember during the first period of the crisis after even after two or three weeks we obviously got ads that was created from way before that they haven't been able to pick up on that was completely changed do you see that the the complexity of digital marketing is a, is a problem of by by executing a different strategy is it just like a machine that keeps on rolling or do you have the agility to just like pause stop do differently within the within a short period of time i mean it depends on the organization and whether they're using a media agency and or doing it themselves or you know i i think that um yeah most most brands would have a really direct view and control over their inventory whether it's on um you know display platforms uh, that could be showing up anywhere or if it's in very focused places like facebook and instagram or google or wherever um so i would hope that the ones i would uh, th there may be some slipping through the net but i would hope that any brand even the really big ones have a really tight handle it's become so much easier to do that in recent years yeah. um and I would say 
because those tools have become more democratized, your average brand marketer or your average marketer, they, they know a bit more about what the media agency is doing and why and how and probably starting to feel like they can do it themselves anyway, but that's a different topic. And um, so, yes, I, w- I would think that digital marketers have a really good handle on their inventory and are being agile and adapting and pulling stuff and putting different stuff out. Um, I think the thing people are really struggling with in terms of paid advertising is – it, that's different. Being a brand in social with organic content, of course, you can be helpful. You can try and be lighthearted. You can be positive. But in paid paid advertising's job is to drag people through into the store and sell stuff, or at least if it's um, not that kind of, you know, it's not an e-commerce brand, drag it through some sort of, drag the person, grab them, you know, and pull them through some sort of experience. Mm. And that's a different thing. That's far more hard-nosed mercenary kind of channel and i think a lot of people are struggling with that how to reconcile that you know click here do this buy now with what's going on now because that that always feels a bit insensitive to a point um and i don't know what the answer is i think it very much depends on who your brand is but for a lot of brands i think there's certain types of paid advertising that just don't make sense right now yeah i can imagine and i also I also remember when I was working a lot with this that um, the conversion optimization is very dependent on the context of, of the consumer. So, yeah. And since that changes radically, your numbers will be completely different than what they normally would have been. Um, and you will have all of these weird uh, examples of one ad performing better than the other one and you wouldn't really know why anymore. Usually before you could sort of assume that it was because of and you just you know you say, oh this copy was better but now it could be a completely different thing that goes on behind behind on the on the customer side i mean what a lot of reports are showing is that cpms are down yeah um so it's cheaper to advertise but also return on ad spend as a metric mm. in general is up so yeah. people are getting more return out of ad spend partly because those cpms are down because it's very category specific, you know, certain categories like um, household, baby, food and drink are hugely up. Fashion, on the other hand, is, uh, well, obviously for some brands, it's just disappeared. Yeah. Uh, uh, but that's in general, yeah. if anything, slightly down. Yeah. Um, so it, for some brands, this is an absolutely fantastic time to advertise because it's it's cheaper and more effective than ever because of the context of the consumer, yeah. just like you say. And for that reason, that's why obviously Amazon's having a absolutely <laughs> brilliant uh, time. Yeah. But lots of other e-commerce players are as well. I'm, I'm aware we're coming to uh, to the end of our chat. And I suppose before we go, what I'd love to ask you is, um, you know, for listeners, what is your key piece of advice um, for any brand marketer who's listening to this episode, what would you tell them? Be a voice of reason. That That's a good start, I think. Keep your head cool in a situation where things seem to be flying around and people are... Resp- you have to remember, people resp- respond differently to crisis. Crisis is a very defining factor of any organization. And this one is external, the most you know, damning crises are the ones that are internal when you feel like everything is breaking down and the relation to your colleagues and how you view the world has changed. So now we're all in it together. But there's a lot of irrationality going around. 
people are tempted to do a lot of things, to, to act on things. And I think that the brand marketer needs to be the ones that are um, sort of protecting the brand from doing all of these other kind of things that maybe some people in product or in, in top management would like to do just irrationally. They need to be the voice of reason in, in a chaotic landscape. Yes, and it's that bigger picture, isn't it? Because like you say, sooner than we know, hopefully, uh, this situation will be over, even if that is, you know, some of the more pessimistic estimates, it being even a year or more till it's really kind of gone. But even so, in the great scheme of things, your brand's going to be around for decades. You know, there's a bigger picture to this, isn't there? And you're right, we have to kind of keep the ship on course Um there's a there's a there's a little obstruction ahead, but that's that that doesn't mean to say we change the whole um, trajectory of our course. No, I think that the to 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 be the voice of reason is also to be proactive in terms of um, what's 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 to come and what situation you are in right now. So I don't I don't see that a lot of brands will come out of this in a better place if they completely stop communicating, stop being a part of people's lives, stop having relations, and stop their marketing. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that would be a very viable way unless they obviously have no business at the time. In that case, a lot of expect, especially tactical and, and performance marketing will be just a complete waste of money. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jürgen, thanks so much for your insight into uh, the challenges of a brand uh, in the midst of the coronavirus crisis. It's been really great to talk to you. And yeah, thanks so much for your time. It's been very valuable. Thank you, Will. Take care of yourself. Chat to you soon. See ya. Adios. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening.